0: Father, we uh, are reminded that in the absence of holiness, you are still God, and our world feels really broken and unholy, but we're reminded that you are steadfast, that you are constant, that you are faithful, even amidst our unfaithfulness, and so I pray for your comfort tonight, I pray for your guidance tonight, I pray for your hope tonight be infused in us as we share this time together, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, um, I want to uh, again welcome you here tonight. I don't know how many of you are tuned in to the Olympics, um, but things are going well for some countries. I don't know. It feels a little chill. It, it f- feels a little <laughs> chilly in here. So I just wanted to. Um, man, I, I don't know if it was the AC was was working hard. Um, uh, actually, this was the uh, the pattern that the Crown Prince of Norway actually wore. Um, some countries are doing awfully well this year um in fact i think we should just vote to to change the name of the olympics or just call it the norwegian olympics uh for for those of for those of you who don't know my my family comes from the motherland that is norway uh and uh it's it's been a good in fact i saw this interesting thing about medal count right now um and there's room on the bandwagon if you've got some red white and blue that you just want to convert to um the Norwegian way of life, uh, 26 overall medals, and they're leading in every category of medals. But but USA is there, which they're above France, so that's good. Sorry, Zabi, <laughs> but uh, I was you know there's always a good moral victory we, we can find. Um, you know, for some people, you know, if you're from Alabama, it's you might as well just change it to the Alabama National Championship Award. Uh, but when it comes to the Olympics, let's just let's just call it the Norwegian Olympics, right? Because. That's just fine. You don't like my humor. OK. Uh, <clears throat> yes, uh, I, I, I am, I'm enjoying some winter sports right now and, and loving it. Yes, this was actually handmade for me, uh, in, in case you're wondering. I, I, I don't actually get to wear it because I live in Texas. But uh, if I go on a, a, an, an Arctic journey, I'll take it with me. Um, couple of things uh, I was just going to highlight by way of an announcement, we have some fun things that are coming up next Saturday. If you're interested in just maybe a possible new mission uh, that we might partner with, we're not looking to take on a whole thing as much as we're looking to maybe identify a family, a family that we could um, support and and reach out to uh, in the foster care system. Um, there's some special needs that come with fostering. And and so we're just praying and discerning as we expand our reach in Austin. And there's a wonderful conference called A Future and a Hope. Uh, It's sponsored by a group called Fostering Hope Austin. Uh, I've kind of become acquainted with the leadership and really love what they're doing. And so next Saturday, there's a conference from uh, about nine to three or something like that uh, at Hill Country Bible Church. And I'm going to be attending if if you want to join me. Uh, There's some registration info and Uh, We have nothing to do with it, but I'll I'll be attending, and I want to encourage you just to be praying for us as we look to expand uh, sort of our missional um, footprint within Austin. And then um, something that I'm pretty excited about, you you know... um, there's different ways for us to be the church, right? It's not just, oh, this is my primary expression that is the worship service. We wanted to have other ways that we could gather for the church. So it's like two, two sides of the same coin. But sometimes we're gathering at a Great Gatsby party at a bar on the East um, Riverside. Other times we might be going door to door. But this weekend we have each of our tribes having a different expression that is, that is the church. Uh, we've reserved the first weekend of every month to be sort of a laboratory weekend, that we would be people of practice, that we could practice these rhythms of generosity or hospitality or compassion and whatnot. Uh, and so on Friday night, there's a, a group from North Austin that are gonna be having a dinner. It's an ongoing uh, meal that we've been kind of sharing together. We, we provide it, but it's not a soup kitchen. It's a supper club meal that we just get to enjoy together. Uh, and so you get to have some conversation with people who are frankly, just on subsidized housing. Now, a lot of them are from other countries, but we think this is a great way to love our Austin neighbors. Bible is real clear. Love your neighbor. Well, the problem is, is that the needs on my street aren't exactly overt. Uh, there's some emotional support I can offer. There's some friendship. I, but, you know, when it comes down to providing simple meals or um, um, just befriending them, uh, maybe being a cultural interpreter for them. Uh, so that's on Friday night. Uh, and then on Saturday, we're doing another thing where we're just going to visit some of uh, our friends in the Burmese community. Many of them are learning English, learning culture. They're, they're going through some culture shock with related to raising kids in a foreign country that they were raised in. Uh, but we're just sitting down and... <clears throat> What we like to say is just make awkward look effortless because uh, there is something about a little discomfort when you walk into a Burmese apartment and you decide we're gonna make breakfast. And so we, we had showed up in December and made some breakfast tacos and built some gingerbread houses. Uh, but, uh, you know, um, I like being uncomfortable in community rather than being on my own. So, uh, and then the third thing on, on Saturday evening, um, the B. Sterling, uh, him, who uh, is a singer-songwriter, has put out a couple of albums, uh, does a wonderful house show. He's performed all over the country in all sorts of venues, but one of his great places is put him in a living room with about 30 or 40 of our friends. And so uh, Shannon uh, and Jim Wise are hosting up in Steiner Ranch for the Central Tribe and Friends. But each of these things are ways that we're simply trying to make our community and our faith more accessible. So the question is always with the people that God has given you influence with: is what kind of next step can I invite them into? And so uh, I, I just want you to know, coming up in the first week of March, we we have some really neat things that are unfolding as we try and be the church in the most living and active ways possible. Well, we want to take this evening's offering and uh, just want to uh, highlight something. If you're able, uh, we're still um, finishing up 2018's budget. One of the things that makes it uh, especially challenging is uh, just knowing the giving patterns. If you are able to somehow um, say to us like through a reoccurring gift, that would give us a better idea to forecast what's coming ahead. So if you could go online in some of our giving app, Uh, and and to be able to kind of say, yeah, each month I want to contribute to the vision and the the values of what Mission Hills is doing, that would really set us up to make a a more informed decision. Um, We know that we're going to be reducing our budget this year, and so it's just a matter of how much. But we're praying through that process, and again, we're in the final stages. If you have questions about our budget, you can talk to Theo uh, after the service or email him but let's pray. Uh, Let's pray for the work that God's doing. Father, again, we celebrate your faithfulness. We thank you that um, even in the absence of holiness, you are still God. I can't get past that, Lord. That is such a profound thought, and uh, I know that we are living in a world that feels really normal and broken to us, and yet... Even though you created it, it is not what you intended. So I pray that you would uh, continue to, to restore our own hearts and our minds. I pray that we would fall more in love with you and that we would be instruments of your healing in this world and that we would be people who practice a living faith. Uh, and so thank you for both our coming together, but man, Lord, just empower us as we, as we go out from here. Uh, thank you for these tithes. Thank you for these gifts. Thank you for how you're bringing resonance within a community of people in Austin to say your kingdom come in Austin as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Hi, I just want to share a little bit about what the kids will be learning tonight. We're going into the book of Exodus and we'll be learning about the story of Moses and how God rescued Moses to deliver his people from captivity and how this points to a higher calling and rescue, the call of Jesus to come to earth and rescue us from our sin. And we'll talk about how we can all still be part of God's plan for salvation. So it's a great lesson tonight. And then also, I wanted to, last week we had, we started a new dismissal for the children. And we'll have a slide that pops up in a second. And I'll kind of walk, walk you through it, if any of you weren't here last week. So I'll, as the host, I will start, and I will have a piece that I say in children. When I say the word send, then you can quietly gather at the back, but don't leave. Just stand at the door. Or you can just walk out with me when I leave, Okay. And then the congregation will stand up and extend your arms and say your part here. You might want to read it because you'll, be, you'll have your back to it when you're facing the children. So learn your lines. And then children from, from the back will say, um, and also with you. Okay? And then we'll leave from there. Sound good? Okay, I'll start us out. Let us now send the children to continue their worship with a blessing.
0: Okay. The Lord bless you as you continue in your worship. Come on, kids. We need something more from you. One, two, three. And also with you. Come on. Ah, I'm telling you, it's a work in progress and you can only get better. (laughs) Yes, because we make awkward look effortless. Can we update the website with that and get a nice little logo feature? That's uh, that's a t-shirt coming out with some of our crafters, I'm sure of it. You know what's fascinating? When I read scripture, um, there's so much that I don't relate to because I did not grow up in an agricultural uh, place. I, I grew up in a city. And so when you start learning some of the agricultural references and nuances it becomes really interesting. One of those things that I was reading about was the nature of a yoke. Now, I've heard things about being equally yoked, means you're supposed to kind of be at the same place, particularly in a relationship. But the nature of being yoked in a farming culture was taking two oxen, but it wasn't two oxen at the same age. It was two oxen, one very seasoned, who'd been doing the agricultural work and a young buck, so to speak. One who was just starting out. And these oxen would be yoked together. And there's a picture of it so that we can get a clear picture. One wasn't gonna get further than the other. Now, again, this is mildly fascinating to someone who grows up in an urban context, but understand what the premise was. Farmers would not take two. Of the same age, they would take one older, seasoned uh, ox and put them with a younger one. And the idea was for these long 11 and 12 hour days, if you let the young one loose, or if you put two young ones, they're going to spend their wad real early. They're going to be they're going to be expend too much energy before the noonday hour. And so the idea is to not put them with a tired old ox. The idea is that you put them with a seasoned wise one who knows how to have a rhythm and a pace to produce all day long. What a great picture we have straight out of scripture that I often end up missing because I just didn't grow up in an agricultural context. And what I would simply say is, when we talk about the rhythm of apprenticing, it works the same way. If you're new, If you're naive, if you're idealistic, if you're just young, you need someone further along with experience and the ability to call you out, to maybe say, no, wait, don't stop. We all need that. But let me also say if you have walked with the Lord, particularly in a faith journey, for an amount of time, There is something that I think God has created all of us for to grow into, and that is the ability to reproduce our faith into another. See, I understand this about just the nature of our physical bodies. We grow up and we get to this point of what I would call peak production. We all reach our peak production years, but then we, after a while, start sitting there saying, boy, I can't do it. I just can't keep up like I could when I was a younger man. Or, boy, I used to just have more energy. Boy, I I just feel like I need another extra hour of sleep. And the point is this. In the kingdom of God, he never intended there to be any concept of arrival or spiritual retirement. But what I think God has intended every believer to grow into is the nature of being an elder knowing how to leverage your faith for the benefit of others, knowing how to reproduce it so that someone can learn from you. Now, there's this temptation to think, oh, I'm not there yet. But I would suggest to you that based on what you've experienced with Christ, we have all had a journey. Maybe it's a week. Maybe it's five years. But there are certain things that God has revealed to you. There are certain things that God has shown himself to you there are things in our life that we can't unlearn. There are things that we have gone through that we can't unexperience. There's things that we can't unsee. And the point is, the more we go through that and connect the dots with who God is, the more it becomes a sacred trust to be able to impart a living faith to someone else. Now, part of the startup of Mission Hills was that we can't just have a Sunday go to church faith. We need something that feels much more like a training center or an equipping ground. So I wanted us to kind of rally around tangible concrete expressions of faith. One of those seven rhythms is the nature of apprenticing which feels maybe the hardest to really put your 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 finger on but I want to talk about it both from a standpoint of we all need someone further along but we all need to be stewarding what we already have. It's very easy to somehow sit and listen to the message. Boy, it would be so nice if I had a mentor in my life. It would be so nice if I had someone who would just speak into my potential. But what I'm simply saying, and by the way, this comes hand in hand with what it means to be a parent, you are already reflecting a kind of belief, a kind of faith practice. Whether you're intentional about it or not, your children are learning about your faith in Christ alone, or maybe not so alone. Maybe they see your faith in your charm. Maybe they see your faith in your control. Maybe they see your faith in your perfectionism. Maybe they see your faith in sort of your net worth. There's always a way that we reflect our faith. What I'm trying to do is give you at least seven ways to pass on that faith, starting with your own home. And so, um, you know, we talk about generosity and we talk about hospitality and compassion and renewal. And we talk about being in community where we learn to find what's common among us, even if it means going across social divides. We, we, we learn about uh, what it means to express God's worth and gratitude and in, and in worship. But tonight I wanna talk about the the rhythm of apprenticing and Jesus gave his life with this. One of the most formative books outside of the Bible that I ever read uh, about 25 years ago was a book called The Master Plan of Evangelism. And in this book, um, Robert Coleman would contend that the, the primary mission of Jesus was simply this, training the few to reach the many. And the idea is, well, Jesus came and he just started making a splash. He started gathering the 5,000 and feeding them, and he started holding court in the temple courts, and he started doing... I would contend that Jesus' ministry to the masses was mostly illustrative he was trying to instill how the world might know to his disciples looking on, to his apprentices. He wanted them to know how to, to, to leverage their faith. He wanted their, their, his disciples to somehow know that the power of a living God that was in him could also be in him, to, to be able to pray for healing, to be able to feed the hungry, to be able to clothe the naked, to be able to have a boldness in their witness in order to confront the kind of, of, of maybe poor teaching or, or kind of uh, misguided truth. So what I'm saying is there is a way that Jesus led his life not to the masses but to the few. In fact, uh, the guy who discipled me said, David, and this was 25 years ago, and he says, more time with less people equals greater kingdom impact. But you and I both know we're in love with the masses. And the idea of a successful church is how big is your Sunday event? And I'm saying, man, I don't want to measure us by how many come in. I want to measure us by how many get sent out. And every Sunday night, I hope feels like a commissioning service that we can go practice a living faith so that we can be the church, whether we're gathered or whether we're scattered, whether you're as a family or whether you're in cubicle world or whether you're in carpool world or in uh, in the grocery store, there's a way to leverage faith for the benefit of others. There's a way that we can have a faith that helps form Christ in us. But there's a faith that we know in simple ways that we can reproduce. And so there's, uh, um, Jesus comes, uh, and, and he gives us this invitation to follow. And the follow, uh, the, the idea of, he says, come follow me, is both an invitation and an example. He's inviting us to come, but he's also inviting us to be what he is for his disciples. Don't miss that in the invitation. There is, and this is what Robert Coleman would contend, is that we have put such an overemphasis on conversion, that is getting something to keep us from going to hell, that we miss out on having a living, multiplying faith that knows how to give it away. And so what he's saying is sometimes, you know, and there were moments where people, quote, came to Christ. But the emphasis of Jesus' ministry wasn't really on conversion. It was about making disciples. That's why I wanted to have a church that said, no, 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 we're not going to just have Sunday after Sunday. We're going to be committed to a shared practice. We're going to be committed to going into a laboratory. It'll be a little inconvenient. It'll feel a little uncomfortable. People won't often get it. They won't know exactly when we're meeting or where we're meeting. But there's going to be something formative in us. We're we're going to be a community of what I would simply say spiritual practice. And so um, what, what he says, we're not only challenged to yoke our lives with someone further along, it also implies that you'll be followed too. Super important for us to understand the stewardship of our gifts, the stewardship of our experiences and our influence. Uh, And now hopefully this inspires you, um, but if it overwhelms you, if it intimidates you, uh, then hopefully it'll develop a greater dependence on God. Now we have in our midst a, a couple of first-time disciples. I created some material and, and uh, it, it wasn't just supposed to be content but it was supposed to be an experience where we share in some ministry together and we share our lives together. But here are some ways that we can walk through the rhythms and, and now these first-time disciples Are now apprenticing others. And so this is now happening in our midst. And my hope is that if you hang out in in Mission Hills for any length of time, you'll not only join in this journey, but it'll become part of your way to grow old. And you will always yoke your life with someone who might be further along, but certainly that you can be bringing along. Now, I wanna expand more on the idea of a yoke because it's rich in the Hebrew culture and not just the agricultural community. But the idea of a yoke is where we get the original ideas behind denominations. Have you ever had someone kind of scratch their head and go, why are there so many Christian flavors? And you're like, I don't know. Some people believe in this and other people believe in this and it's just been centuries of church splits and we're just going to go play in our own congregation and we think the same over here. What I would say is there was given in the in the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, there was 13, 613 commands given. And what a rabbi would do is interpret those commands. And so every rabbi had their view on them. And some would emphasize more than others. So it might be here's what's allowed on the Sabbath and others might say let's focus more on the poor. But there would just be these different points of emphasis. And so we can kind of see that today. There are some denominations that focus really heavily on the Holy Spirit, and others would be really on on conversion and salvation, and others would be really focused on the poor. I'm not saying right or wrong to any of them. It's just different points of emphasis. But in Scripture, when a, when, a, when a rabbi would take on their interpretation of the 613 commands in the, in the Torah, it was called a yoke. And so when you would choose to follow a particular rabbi and you'd sign up for that guy's congregation, you were aligning with that yoke. And presumably he would be further along and kind of figuratively you would be yoked with him. And and that's how Christ could be formed in you. Your faith would be expressed based on not just the beliefs, but the very tangible practice of that rabbi. Well, there's a master rabbi that comes along a few years later, and he says in the midst of so much legalism, so many burdens, so many interpretations, because it had become so burdensome. Do you remember what Jesus says? Come to me, all you who are tired and weary, and I will give you rest. Now, that's not just you didn't get enough sleep last night. That's to a people who've grown up in such rigidity, such legalism, such dogmatism, that he says, no, 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 take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy. Now, don't translate that as like a grace credit card that you can just keep swiping. What he's saying is, take my yoke upon you because it's useful, for my burden is light. Oh my gosh. So we've got a rabbi who's redefining what it means to to follow after and, and have practice a living faith. And so for those of us who kind of pledge our allegiance to God and try and fall under all these rules, but inevitably feel inadequate, inevitably feel just not good enough, Jesus comes with a word then, and it's the word today. And he says, please take my yoke on you. It is so useful for simple, practical, daily living. It will change your life. And it'll lift the burden. It'll lift the burden of addiction. It'll lift the burden of unforgiveness. It'll lift the burden of resentment. It'll lift the burden of of mourning and loss and sadness and insecurity and anxiety. Take my yoke upon you. I, I mean... I'm all in, like that, why didn't someone teach me that growing up, that's what he was saying, and so Jesus comes to us, and throughout the book of John, he has this reoccurring but self-deflecting f- phrase, so both as a follower uh, and as someone who wants to be followed, we have to understand Jesus' message is not my own, and so he comes to us, uh, and he says in John 7, 28, then Jesus, still teaching at the temple courts, and he cried out, Yes, you know me, uh, and you know where I'm from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. See, the idea was Mission Hills would simply outline the most tangible, concrete, simple yoke. Generosity, hospitality, compassion, renewal, uh, gratitude, community, and, and apprenticing, so that we could understand the heart of God, that we could leverage our faith for the benefit of others, that we could somehow have a self-feeding way to form Christ in us, but we'd know how to give it away. That's, That's what we're talking about. Now Jesus stands up here and he shows up halfway through what we talked about last week, the festival of tabernacles. Do you remember a little bit about this? It would be akin to a couple of our typical festivals. And again, the thing that I wanted to talk about tonight was the 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 pilgrimage metaphor. The the idea that we're all on a journey and this was one of three huge kind of Super Bowl-esque pilgrimages that the people of God would take every year. Tabernacles was one of them. It would come at the end of harvest, so it would be a celebration of God's abundance. It would say, oh my gosh, we just hit it, like we are taken care of, we made it through another year, we had enough water and we had a good soil and everything came together and look how well fed we are man even though we worked hard in the field God's the source. And so it was a Thanksgiving-type celebration, but it was recognition of God as a source. But it was greater than just this year's crop. It went back all the way to, to, to God's faithfulness in delivering them out of slavery, salvation, if you will, from, from the Egyptians and wandering through the desert, manna, uh, you know, and, 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 and feeding them and, and, and giving them something to drink and and what they would do for a week is build little huts, little lean-tos, and they would go camp out for a week to, re- to re-walk the steps of their ancestors and say, let's never forget that God is ultimately the source. Even though it doesn't feel like God's done anything for us lately, let's remember what God has done throughout all of history. We need these reminders, and sometimes we celebrate Thanksgiving without remembering, oh my gosh, God has been faithful even before my own life. He's been faithful to, man, he's been faithful through the generations of my family to bringing me to this point. Uh, But in some ways, it's like an Easter celebration, because Easter is the promise uh, that we can all be born again, and again, and again. And so the idea is we enter into Lent with this similar, self-denying, self-deflecting. My life is not my own. How can I learn to die to myself in order that I might be made new in Christ? I hope Lent has that kind of meaning and significance for you. where, where you're being challenged with uh, not a, a legalism, but a kind of offering that our lives, our experiences, uh, our learning, our influence, our relationships, our abundance is, is, is just becoming a sacred trust and we get to offer it back to God. Um, and so the great message of the Feast of Tabernacles is that God's love is offered to all people, at all times, in all pe- places. And just like God led the Israelites out of slavery, he wants to lead us out of the slavery that is the sin in my life. And, and, and that's not all. Uh, the critical part of it is that he wants to lead me back into the world to help save others uh, in that process. So It's all about deliverance, and it's all about working out our salvation. So maybe the best analogy for apprenticing is not unlike parenting. There's this sense, or if you've ever kind of taken on a new hire, if you've ever taken on uh, um, someone that maybe you've lived in town longer or There's this idea that you can see what's going to, you can see what they don't know. You can see where this is going. You can kind of identify their trajectory. And this is what Jesus was talking about. Growth often means learning the hard way and hard work. But growth happens when we choose to enter into close proximity, creating an accessibility with someone further along. I read this great story, it was in 1947, it was this professor at the University of Chicago, and his name is Dr. Chandreskar, and he had this you know, PhD in, in astrophysics, and he had planned to teach this course at the University of Chicago, but he was living in, in um, Wisconsin, which would have been a hundred mile round trip, but it was in the harsh winter conditions. But only two people had registered for the course. And so kind of the whole department said, Oh. Come on, this this doesn't even make sense uh, for two students, except he said, no, I'm I'm gonna teach them. uh, Because I think every great teacher, every great mentor doesn't actually see the size of the class. So he says, yes, 100 miles round trip, he's gonna have to commute twice a week to meet with these two students getting their PhD in astrophysics, except both of them 10 years later in 1957, let me get their names right, Uh, Chen Ning Yan and Cao Dao Li both did their homework, and both of them in 1957 won Nobel Prizes in Physics, and in 1983, so did Dr. Chandrasekhar. I would say certainly the professor became more than a teacher, he became like a mentor, and I think it had everything to do with class size. They got accessibility. They got a deeper kind of relationship than it was a lecture hall. And their work, I think, was multiplied because of it. So if you're sitting here this evening and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I want, or I need a mentor, I would simply say this, start by being one today. Even if you don't have the title, even if you're not asked, start taking inventory of the experiences of your life start taking kind of um putting words to the difference that christ is making has made in you if you can start to articulate that story with christ then people will start to be drawn to you the other thing that will happen is you'll start to identify who you're drawn to and need to ask if you can follow so i would encourage you to start cultivating a lifestyle of apprenticing, both as a leader and a follower, because I think that's always the invitation. Again, I search scriptures and I can't find anywhere that speaks to spiritual arrival. We're always on the journey. And the invitation of Jesus is take a next step. Thinking about all the things that I have, it's hard to put together in one word, but you know, I've I've been blessed by by so many people's investment Um, and uh, whether it be their generosity or whether it be their patience, whether it be their forgiveness or whether it be their hospitality. I start doing inventory and I start listing names of people who have made a significant deposit. And you know what the worst thing that I could ever do to them, maybe even the most insulting thing, was somehow try and pay them back. Oh, I owe you. Doesn't that kind of feel like an insult? I did that for you. Maybe the only response that's actually plausible is to become like it, become like them. So for me to somehow repay my mom and dad, maybe I just need to learn their generosity, right? And so this is the lifestyle. This is the rhythm of what it means to walk with an apprenticing rhythm. One last story, and then we'll just close with just a short time of worship. I would just simply say this. Uh, There's a story of Gandhi who was boarding a train in India, but the train was already moving. Gandhi being so mindful of the people around him, he boards a train that's already leaving the station. And as he's going, he had kind of a slip on shoe and it fell off. And so he was with a few other people, but he gets on board and he takes his other shoe and he throws it down. And he just lets it go. And the people are like, what are you doing? He says, well, the poor guy who finds a shoe, at least now he has a pair of them. And I think that's the picture of what it means for us to be a mentor. You always understand both the recipient and the resource that is in your life. And you give of it generously. You give of it timely. You give of it lavishly in order that they might become that. But it's who you want to be. There's a temptation that I fight is I did this for you. So now you do this for me. And, and, And what I'm reminded of is whether it be me writing a check, me giving of my time, me offering to do someone a favor. This is who I want to be because this is how I understand Christ to be and let Christ be formed in me, even if I don't feel the initial reward. Let that be our sort of commissioning to begin to steward those experiences in a way that points people closer to Christ. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we are mindful um, that our life is not perfect and our journey with you has been checkered and scenic. And yet you are faithful. You are redeeming those moments. You are healing broken relationships. And you don't need us to be picture perfect, to be a masterpiece in your eyes. So I pray that we would be able to be um, mindful of the influence uh, and, and be able to steward those experiences and help people, people who are already watching us, people who have already given us favor and influence, I pray that we would be able to give them next steps and to walk in relationship with you. I pray that you would give us a a kind of um, a a growing uh, wisdom and and the ability to see what you see so that we um, might be able to call people out of the wilderness to call people out of uh, brokenness, to call people out of loneliness uh, and into community and into compassion and into light. So make us people of justice and mercy and light and uh, we'll give you the praise uh, in advance. And as we just sing the, now this time in worship and, and as we just declare your worth, I pray that you would just, through your Holy Spirit, uh, let, let, let faces come to mind, let names come come into our thoughts about who we're supposed to be a little bit more intentional with, and uh, we'll give you the praise for that. But We ask for your Holy Spirit to just minister to us now.